Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Eccentric Earth with your host, Ptolemy Slocum. Uh, that is myself. This is a podcast about improv and life and acting and comedy and raising humans and lists that have a sixth item for no reason. Um, this very first episode is a uh, special live podcast recorded live at the Nerdist School in Los Angeles, California, uh, in front of an audience with my old uh, college friend, stand-up and filmmaker Mike Berbiglia, and also we were fortunate enough to have Liz Allen, who is a legendary improviser herself, a teacher, and did the improv coaching for the actual fake improv team in Mike's newest film, Don't Think Twice. Uh, Don't Think Twice just came out in theaters nationwide. Go see it. It's a fantastic film. Uh, It's very meaningful for many reasons, some of which are are discussed here. So uh, go see it and listen to this or uh, listen to this podcast and then go see it. Uh, Here is our live discussion on friendship and filmmaking. I hope you enjoy. Uh, welcome, everybody, to our uh, first ever uh, Nerdist School podcast. Uh, please put your hands together for Mr. Mike Berbiglia and Liz Allen. Hey, you guys. Wow, this is... Uh, how, close, how close do you need to get to the mic? That is a good question. Is there an audio engineer uh, present? Is that all right? He said you're good. Um, I wonder... It, it, and we can cut it this part, this boring part out of the uh, podcast. But um, the can can we go house lights? Yeah. Um, There's a. Do you see Mike the switch like above the you? Lights. Mike doesn't. Like I, the it's lights. like a white square. I just don't like. I like this. Trevor, I just it's a white square. It's a white square. There. Ah, All is right. that enough of them? Do you need more of and them? Can, and can we kill our our stage lights? Yeah. Do you know how to kill stage lights? It's a main. There. Yeah. That's yeah. too. That's too is that dark. Too dark? That's is that too dark? That's too dark. Maybe like wow. half. Yeah, I can just do the house lights. Yeah, house lights would be great. I'm gonna. I'll get them. I'll get them. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Oh, I like that. How are you guys? Um, raise your hand if you saw. Don't think twice last night. And then raise your hand if you didn't see Don't Think <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it worked out. It's so, it's so many people who didn't see it. Um, well, I, I, I hope that you'll see it when it comes out in, uh, in July and August. But um, I want to thank Ptolemy for uh, having me and Liz here at the Nerdist School. And, um, and uh, Ptolemy and I have been friends for uh, so long, like Jeez. over, like, I think, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, I think it's actually 19, is it? No. About 19 years. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I'm, yeah, because I met you when I was, I was about 19. Yeah. I went to Georgetown University and I did improv there, and Ptolemy did improv at GW, GW. University, which is like, uh, like probably a mile and a half away. Yeah, but one lifetime away in terms of like <laughs> value of school and hatred. Yeah, and hatred. Also hatred. Um, the uh, no, but I, I, I went to. Um, to 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 see his group recess because I was researching the improv groups in 
in Washington, D.C. And so I went with a bunch of uh, people in, in my improv group and um, and we went and watched that. They did like a, a combination sketch comedy and improv show for, I think it was in Lisner. I think yep. it was like, it must have been, uh, it must have been a thousand people. Yeah. It was huge. Yeah, it we was the, like they were the rock stars. We were comedy like rock stars celebrities. Of com- yeah, it was yeah. it was wild. Like, yeah. and and Ptolemy was wearing a Green Hornet costume. I remember Green Lantern. Sorry, Green yeah. Lantern. I'm not a comic book person. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Welcome uh, to the Nerdist School. Yeah, I know. Sorry about that. Uh, but but you were wearing a Green Lantern outfit, yep. and um, and it was one of the best uh, sketch comedy and improv shows I've ever seen i was it really was i was completely blown away and i was like how do i become friends with these guys (laughs) and then mike would keep showing up like uh because your whole group came i remember uh brian donovan Mm -hmm. won the uh because it was a halloween show he won a costume contest by wearing no costume (sighs) he looked so weird that everyone just said he won that was really that, sad. So none that, of those guys. But, but ever, I want to say I want to speak for on Brian's behalf because I I love Brian. He had a lot of hair at that time. Well, he had a he had a a, a notable notably large haircut. Um, right. <laughs> what you call like white fro? It was like uh, yeah. But I I want to speak in his defense since he's not here. Um, I think he's still a little bit hurt by mm-hmm. the incident. He and should be. It was traumatic. He was a little bit sensitive because they said he was wearing a costume, but he wasn't wearing a costume. Yeah. His it humanity was, a costume, was contest, a costume. Which is a little mean-spirited. It was a little mean-spirited, but it was the audience's choice. Um, but I remember no one from Georgetown ever came back uh, after Except me. Show. Except me. Except for Mike. Mike would like just just like show up at shows and come see our, like our other shows. And sometimes I would rehearse with you guys. Yeah. Uh, and so and we Hillary, kinda, Hillary Winston, Hillary, Chris Winston, Himes, yeah. um, Brian, Igor, Tom, uh, yeah, Matt. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, you just you kept making the trek, and I think that, in some ways, to get back to uh, Mike uh, Berbiglia uh, and the way and your relationship to both um, comedy, like your own relationship to comedy, and the way that you take in the outside world is, you know, like you see things and then you kind of attach your, you like you, it becomes part of your system. You're so interested in it. It like you bring it into your body and like absorb it. Like Carlos Mencia writes jokes. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> I absorb the jokes. Um, no, but I appreciate that compliment. The, <clears throat> I, I just loved you guys. And I was like, you guys are as obsessed with improv and comedy as I am yeah. or more so. And I was just like, I just want to hang out with you guys all the time. Yeah, it was interesting. But that, <coughs> but, um, that brings us to the, like uh, the concept of aesthetic. And, yeah. Um, like our original, because I think you and I um, going through the journey together have gone through a pretty um, kind of robust journey with what comedy is and what improv is, like the purpose of improvisation. I think that's true. And our relationship to it over time, I think, has been interesting. Well, yeah. I. Well, one thing is, I'm going to cough for a second and then we can cut it out in post. <laughs> I think that's better than um, not doing that. But um, I also think we should leave everything in that he says we should cut out. And then that, um, as I understand it, I'm not the director of this podcast. And nice. so uh, that's fair. Um, but um, but yeah, no, that's I, I think that that is very true because we, we improvise together. We both moved to New York around you moved a couple years ahead of me and then and then um 
we did some improv together in New York, and then also, oh, and and we can circle back to this, but we made a short film in college that was um, that almost ended our friendship. Yeah, we did a lot of things together over the years that almost ended our friendship. Yeah, uh, but, we would recommend most of the things we've done together, but but we persevered. Yeah, <laughs> it becomes um, kind of like family, but that's another again. <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole um, that's a whole other yeah. section that we can divert to. I actually wanted to preface this because because these guys haven't seen this movie. I just want to tell you what it's about so that this doesn't seem like it's uh, uh, out of context. So <clears throat> I made this movie. It's called Don't Think Twice. It's starring Keegan Michael Key and Gillian Jacobs, Tammy Sager, uh, Kate McCucci, and Chris Gethard. And it's about a group of best friends who are in an improv group in New York City, fictional improv at a fictional improv theater called the Improv for America Theater that loses their lease, and um, and they're sort of faced with some of them getting the success really successful and some of them not as much. And it's it's sort of about what happens in life when you realize that sort of not everything is fair and not everyone's going to get the same thing and not everyone's going to achieve the same dream, and maybe that that's not such a bad thing, and maybe that leads you to finding what could be a better dream for you or a better outcome for you. Um, <clears throat> so we made this movie. I wrote it over the course of um, about 18 months. I had uh, I, I staged a series of about 10 readings at my house. Um, and um, two, two of the people in the film, Chris Gethard and Tammy Zager, are people who I improvise with regularly at the UCB Theater in New York City in a show that's called Mike Birbiglia's Dream. It was For a while, it was every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock uh, where we'd do a show and then we'd the you know the six or seven of us would go and eat dinner afterwards and kind of uh, talk talk it out and stuff. But um, so we so we made this film and so one of the things we're doing is we're traveling across the country. Liz and I, uh, Liz Allen taught uh, or I should say taught slash coached the fictional improv group uh, that we play in the movie. The group is called the Commune. So we always call Liz the the Commune's improv coach. Um, she spent a few weeks with us, uh, coaching us, and and we we would do shows at UCB as the commune, this fictional group. We would do shows at the UCB Theater in the Magnet in New York City, and um, and we really had a blast. And then we thought, well, why don't we, you know, to try to sort of send out good vibes about this movie and to and basically to, I, I've never put it this way, but to kind of like embrace. Um, to like give a hug to like the improv communities of America and just basically say like it's not a spoof of improv it's a love letter to improv I feel like a lot of times I say like I made a movie about the universe that's based in the universe of improv and people are like oh yeah those motherfuckers had it coming you know and I'm like I'm like no 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 it's not <laughs> I'm like I am one of those motherfuckers um, and we don't have it coming we're great people uh, but uh but but no, it's it really is a love letter to improv. It's a love letter to um to, to you know friendships and longstanding friendships and and um which will of course loop us into a lot of conversations t- today about me, me and Tom me and Tom and our tumultuous ride together. But uh, but I guess um, that would be my first uh, <clears throat> my first question, or to actually like talk to you in a public area. But like why like why improv? What part of improv? Um, do you feel like is like part of the storytelling aspect? Because this has not been touched before. Yeah, it's so strange. I was talking to our mutual friend Andy Secunda about this, who's a great improviser and and who you and I've played with a bunch over the years. Um, I think that I I think I was able to write it. It's a movie that has a lot of pain in it. I would say in a lot of comedy, kind of simultaneous uh, or alternately. Um, 
I guess in the best case scenario, simultaneous. But uh, and <clears throat> he was he's, he was saying at one point, in some ways, I was a good candidate to write it because mm-hmm. I'm outside of the improv universe enough um, to have some distance. Yeah. But I'm in it. I've lived in it enough to understand it mm-hmm. and not patronize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel like I, I was sort of lucky enough to be able to tell it in that sense. The reason why I I thought that improv was a good um, sort of backdrop for a film about friendship is that I feel like so many of the the principles of improv really do apply to life and they apply to essentially everything else I've done in my life and my career. Um, and that spans from everything from parenting. I have a 13 year old, 13 month old, uh, daughter and, um, to directing a movie. I feel like, you know, when I directed my first feature sleepwalk with me available on Netflix, um, (laughs) I, um, we can cut that out. (laughs) Can we, uh, can we put that back in? Can we edit that out? It's, uh, I'll say it again just for for clarity available on Netflix. Start edit. And then when I say finish edit, then you can turn it back on. Netflix is a digital platform that streams, uh, content, uh, across the world. As a matter of fact, it's available in England and, and even Australia and, uh, just recently, but, um, Okay, we can turn it back on. <laughs> turn it back up there uh, and actually raise levels. But um, so Netflix <laughs> is, uh, they have Orange is the New Black and they've got uh, <laughs> House of Cards. Uh, no, but but uh, I, when I directed my first feature, Sleepwalk With Me, um, I I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I it was so hard. I, when I wrote a, the book of Sleepwalk With Me, I, I, I thought this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And then when I directed um, a movie of Sleepwalk With Me, I thought, this is the hardest thing I could imagine doing. Um, and so that was that was a really hard brick wall to smash into. Um, and um, when I took inventory of the process after the fact, I, I, I was like, how did I even make it through and figure that stuff out that I really didn't know how to do? Because directing a movie is a little bit like waiting tables. You, No one wants to give you a job doing it until you've done it. If you've ever waited tables, I've, you know, I had to lie uh, to, and say that I'd waited tables to get a job waiting tables because no one wants a rookie. No one wants a rookie uh, film director because even the even the great film directors, Chris Nolan and you know J.J. <laughs> Abrams, like there's a lot of really excellent film directors whose first films were like pretty good and didn't make anyone any money. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there's a lot like and, and and some of them are great, but 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 um, it's a hard thing to do to make a first film. And so when I did took an inventory of sort of what got me through, it, I realized that it was improv. It was that I, when I was 19 or 18, I was cast in an improv group. I did workshops with improv workshops. I was lucky enough to do an improv workshop with Sharna Halpern and Liz Allen, who's sitting next to me, um, and learn these principles from these really passionate people at a very young age. I feel like that's like so much of it is like being imprinted with this yeah. Im- improv, co- these improv concepts so young mm-hmm. That that they're they're a, they become a part of your DNA, yeah. they be, become a part of everything you do. And so when I look back on like uh, on directing my first feature, it's like oh, I knew how to deal with a costume department, even though I didn't know anything about costumes, because I would listen more than I would talk. Right, which is a great principle of improv. And that's some of the thing um, going back to us basically as children in college. I think what drew us to the stage. And drew us even to comedy and to the improv side 
was just this desperation for making the audience laugh. It's just something that is uh, based on some kind of hole inside of us that we're trying to fill <laughs> sure. with the outside world. Yeah. And we fell into this um, practice that has to do with improvisation. And the lessons that came out of that, some of it has to do with the audience. But so much of it has to do with living your life, or aligning your life to the outside world, aligning your life to the unknown, that gave us lessons that we never even intended on. And this is what I'd like to see in this film, and this is kind of like the essence of what improvisation brings. Not the jokes, and not the part that, that a lot of people interact with improvisation, which is like, they're just making stuff up. But the life side of it has a whole world that that is the essence of the film. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that you sort of I, I uh, gravitated towards that side of it because I feel like that's completely true. I feel like in a lot of ways, the reason why why we and 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 probably you guys got into improv and comedy and performance were all the wrong reasons. yeah. and then along the way, you interact with people like Liz and Sharna and 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 you had you were taught by Dell um, right. and you start to learn the right reasons, yeah, and it's and that's kind of a funny transformation. Is like I I, I feel like at at a certain point you're like, oh, okay, well I'm already here. I should be doing this in a more inspired and passionate way um, to yeah. try to make something great instead of trying to make something like quote unquote sellable, right. So it's almost like you accidentally run into uh, some things you need to learn in your life by attempting to learn some things that you're trying to avoid your life with. I don't know if this makes sense. That makes sense to me. But for me, the, that... <laughs> I don't know if it's going to make sense to, to others. Yeah, but uh, that is why... That, that is like what I think a lot of this film happens to be about. Not necessarily like what you're doing, but why are you doing it? Why are you doing this thing... Uh, what does it mean to you? Like, either what are you trying to avoid? Or? Absolutely. There, there's actually an, an article. There was a, a a piece that someone wrote. You know, because it's it's like a lot of graduation speeches are out right now. Yeah. And someone wrote a, like a piece in the Times this week where they're talking about um, like what what they would think that the best graduation speech would include. And I think one of the and it relates to the this relates to the film um, as well. They said. Don't think when you leave college, don't think about what do I want to be. Think about how do I, how can I help? Mm. What do I want the world to be? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so smart. And I think it really relates to improv because, you know, what Liz teaches so beautifully and, and what, and the kind of improv that I love and I think you love and, and, and practice is, um, is inspired moments. Uh, of people, human beings on stage doing spontaneous things and in, interacting with each other in in of in a in a real and intense way, in a vulnerable way, in a human way, for you know an audience of ten people, twenty people, a hundred people, whatever it is, and the and for the possibility that you could affect those people right. um, and affect each other as scene partners right. um, on a day where you know, maybe a few people in the audience came in and didn't think they were going to smile that day or laugh that day because of things that are going on in their lives. And I think that sometimes as improvisers and as, as, as entertainers, period, we kind of forget that side of it. Right. And, and, and so, and certainly in, in this city that can happen. Um, 
What are you talking about? I mean Los Angeles. Hey guys, how are you? How are you doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, the uh, no. Of course, it can happen yeah, everywhere, yes. but but and New York <clears throat> and New York certainly. But and, um, uh, that also comes into um, play, I think, in the film. If I, because uh, you mentioned um, one thing earlier, but uh, if I my one of the, I think the the finest pieces moments of just sheer filmmaking in the film of the technique of filmmaking was the moment where they are watching... Um, like the Saturday Night Live equivalent. Yeah, we- so there's weekend, a Saturday Night Live it's equivalent. It's called Weekend Live. Called Weekend Live. Live. You have a, a group of people watching it, and then you have someone there, right? So it's like some some people in that space of live filming, mm-hmm. some people watching that space. And all you do on the filmmaking side is take the bass out of it, yeah. right? So there's a music... It's an, it's, it's an, yeah, it's an, I, I, it's a, in some ways it's a spoiler, but it's like... Yeah, it's like an audio concept. Right. So there's a there's the band playing that you would see in Saturday Night Live, and you have people watching it on TV, and then you have people in the space. Yeah. And when you're in the space, you have that just that bass. And when yeah. you're watching it, just the bass is taken out. And it has that visceral feeling that, you know, bass does. But as a viewer, you you feel the difference between watching the party and being part of the party. Yeah. And a lot of times what we talk about um, when we talk about that concept of fame and feeling like there is a party happening somewhere and like what choices are you making in your life where you feel like you're watching a party yeah. instead of being at a party and what that does to even like why you're doing this. Uh, what what your life means to you? Absolutely, and that goes back to that the article that I was referencing, which is like, is like, <clears throat> how are you helping? Yeah, it's like how 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 is what you're doing uh, of assistance to people? And and there's this great book if you haven't read it, it's called Something Wonderful Right Away, and it's an oral history of um, the Compass Players in Second City in Chicago. It's written by Jeffrey Sweet. It's it's a it's thick. It's a couple inches thick, and but it's it's just a fun book because it's like one 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 chapter will be Alan Arkin and one chapter will be Del Close and we, you know it's just like it's kind of like please, the please kill me of 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 improv history yeah. in Chicago and one of the things I think it's Paul Sills but I'm gonna have to look it up who says that what the ability we have as improvisers is to create um, the the greatest and most topical play on that night in history. Right. And and it or it could go down in flames. But just think of the possibility of that and I believe that's true. Mm-hmm. Um it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like a lot of times improv gets thrown around as like, you know, it gets like like uh, pushed in the corner with like a cappella or something. You know, and I really don't think it's acapella. <laughs> I hated the acapella groups in college. Let's talk about acapella yeah, for a little bit. They have it coming. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> those motherfuckers have it coming. Smug. Um, so, yeah, so that uh, kind of for, for uh, just talking to you as a human being and a long-term <laughs> friend of mine um, because we've gone through a lot of... Although we haven't signed the paperwork on we the extension. Have, we're renewing our vows. <laughs> the way you said that was so clinical. Long-term. Sweet. Mm. I, went to, I, I went to Mutual yesterday and I, <laughs> I asked for the paperwork. Nah, I'm, I'm thinking it over. Um, but so now we're at this place because I think 
when we were doing it in college, it was for this almost like this concept of fame. And we kind of get hit in this face with this life side of the comedy that we're doing. Um, and now we're older uh, and we have this other whole element of life that's come in, which is families. True. Yeah. And so now. And by so, the way, thank you for telling me and his wife, Shelly, have given me like an extraordinary amount of parenting advice. That's so <laughs> it's sweet. really sweet. They're, they're really great cool. parents and. Yeah. But it's just been interesting, like, over time to go through the phases of, like, what's important in life. Yes. And I would love to check in with you <laughs> in a room full of people. But, like, uh-huh. how, where are you right now with, like, you know, like, the idea of this, like, fame. We have the things that we're doing to express ourselves in an artistic way. We have still the dream that's out there that is this, like, weird, like, nugget of crack cocaine of the, the fame element. But then there's this other thing that is a much deeper ember of family that's kind of come into this whole thing. Yeah, I, I've, I've had a 180 since we met in college, which is to say I have no interest in fame. I have no interest in uh, doing anything other than learning and getting better yeah. and then hopefully supporting my family. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a weird, it, it's a weird uh, place to arrive because it's not something that I would have expected to arrive at. And part of that is you work so hard and and you come up alongside these other comedians and improvisers and some of them break really big and and it's uncomfortable yeah and, and that no is, for I, I mean in their lives no, it is un, it is it's, uncomfortable it's terrible to be with them when you see their discomfort and you thought it was going to be amazing yeah and then you're like oh this this is awful yeah it, it, and they thought it would be amazing and you know it's like it's the thing that right. they always <laughs> wanted Without, and then they're grasping yeah. it yeah and without and and obviously without spoilers we cover that a bit in the film you do that feeling but yeah but but yeah so so i i feel like at this stage in my life i've arrived at this point and i i think this is relevant for all of us talking about improv and and the the act of creation and and um uh you know creating art is is like eventually you you know, you arrive, I, I think, at this point where you just go, I just want to, you, you just want to get better because the, because you look around and some of the, some of your peers and a lot of my peers, at a certain point, they stop getting better. And you can see in their work that it plateaus and that they think they got it. They think they cracked it. Like they think yeah. they figured it out. And it's like, no, no one's figured it out. <laughs> yeah. And you're 75 years old. You haven't figured it out when yeah. you're, you know, and. And kind of their solution once they realize that they're not making traction with progress is they run the same thing they've been doing faster. It's like, oh, if I just do this same thing in a faster way, oh, that all seems like some kind of like development. But ultimately, they've lost the relationship to change. Yeah, and and when I, I I don't really I don't really watch the movie anymore. I, I'm tr- I'm touring with the movie all summer, going to 25 or 30 cities, and we're doing screenings, sneak preview screenings, and doing these improv workshops. And and I can't watch the movie anymore for two reasons. One is <laughs> uh, one is very emotional because it's very personal uh, to me. It's it's I I I. I I just have a very, I start crying when I see the movie and, uh, it sounds a very, like a very vain thing, but it's just sort of what happens. Yeah. But, um, and the second thing is that, um, I only see the mistakes and, of course, and yeah. so at a certain point you have to stop beating yourself up yeah. and just be like, 
There's a sound dip there, and it's mm. okay. Yes, right. Um, even the minutia. We could have had more score connecting this scene and this scene, right. but that's okay. Yeah. And and you have to let go and just be like, I'm going to write something else. Now. Right. I know you're. Um... <laughs> Liz just gasped. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I know you're a big fan of um, Woody Allen. Sure. And there is that. Um, z, uh, z work. W- oh yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> because I added, an, I added an apostrophe S and work. Yeah, you've uh, always idolized his choices. Um, but uh, I'll say it soon. Work choices work. Uh, but that tenant, uh, the one tenant of his, uh, which is uh, like he's never liked the projects. You know, it's always this feel like, like the imperfection of everything and moving on. Yeah, that has been something about you that I've always been impressed with like you just take the action and this is in some ways i think what andy's saying about you're a good person to uh, approach even the concept of improvisation because not only do you like act on it but you have enough distance from it but the number one thing is that like you do the thing instead of thinking the thing like that and it and the end result is like what you're talking about it's like hard because it's not perfect but I, I've always I've always been uh, very respectful of your ability to, to just like take it on because I'm delusional. Um, I, no, and really, <clears throat> I ta- and if you haven't seen Sleepwalk with me, it's on Netflix. Um, and uh, one of the one of, we're just gonna keep that in. We're gonna Actually, cut we're, that. We're gonna it's available we're on gonna, streaming uh, UK, just Canada. Australia. Thank you, Trevor. Uh, but but <laughs> I thanks, Trevor. No, thank I know, you, I know Trevor. his name too. Trevor, I, don't make eye contact just, with him. Don't try to pull rank on me. <laughs> he will hypnotize you, Trevor. Do not look in his eyes. <laughs> Hi, Trevor. <laughs> um, so, so in Sleepwalk with Me, I, I talk about how to be a comedian, or and this applies to any artist, I think, is you have to be a little bit delusional because you have to early on you have to convince yourself that it's going well when it's really not going well, because otherwise you'd never get on stage again. You just think, I guess human beings don't like me, uh, which which I, I think I have a fair bit of delusion in my body. Yeah, but you overcome it. It's really impressive. <clears throat> Thanks. Oh, that's, a, that's, that's so really, nice. That's really sweet. I mean, yeah, and I mean that from like old school to now, you know what I mean? Like we all experience that, and you have just that thing that can like step over it. We don't have to... Uh, talk about, it. but um, no, and I, I appreciate it, and I and and of, I, I again, I I I feel like the the thing that the thing I always try to focus on is is that I can get better, and I can learn from other people. Uh, I can learn from you. I can learn from you. I can learn from you guys, and and just to like never let go of that. Yeah, because I you know people when I made Sleepwalk with me, a lot of people were like. Um, that was cool. Do you think I'll make it? You'll make another movie, and I'm like, yeah. Like, like I just I, made a did movie. You see that? I just did it. That's awesome. Didn't you guys see the thing? I, I made a movie. And, uh, was that not enough for you? And yeah, and it, it it's it's awesome. it's hard. I mean, it's a it's a very kind of yeah. heavily consumer culture. People keep people take in a lot fast, and and um, it's. And and also and I you know I hope to make ten films and I and my goal is that that each one is 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 better than the previous and yeah. that I learn I learn from the people I'm working with. Yeah, and um, so for me talking about improvisation and I think we should um, 
eventually like talk about your relationship to improvisation over yeah. time then um talk to liz about where where we're all at with um improvisation itself but it's been interesting because in this film um you there's such a spectrum of human experience of people in relationship to their work mm-hmm. right so a lot of these characters and you have basically you know six or more to deal with but they they all interpret it in their own personal way in different directions mm-hmm. and it's really really cool to um to know you for this long and to see that that is enough of an inspiration for you that you're actually trying to take on life itself instead of just the comedy that's in life and you set it in the world of the comedy that we express ourselves in but you're not expressing the comedy you're expressing the the meaning of life like how we bring our lives to the work i appreciate that i mean that it's that certainly was the goal and and i think it it ties into what i was saying earlier about that idea of like that as improvisers we have the ability to create like yeah. the most profound play like on any given night um and uh that's uh, occurring on earth and i feel like in some ways that's how i look at making a film is you know it's a, i have a meager budget but i have a budget and i have um i have these really committed actors and i have this really committed crew and who's to say i can't you 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 can't really go for it and try to make something that that's no one's made before and isn't and is never going to make again i mean um that's one of the things that there, there, I feel like in show business, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of gatekeepers and there's a lot of studios and networks and, and companies that I feel like as performers, we kind of and creators, we kind of imprison ourselves by feeling beholden to those companies right. to, quote unquote, like pick us. But meanwhile, like, do you really respect the people at those companies and the people who are picking I don't respect a lot of them. Um, and so what What I've done, because I don't, is I've just tried to create my own things in the hopes that eventually people will maybe enjoy the things I'm making that I, I try to make as purely as possible and, and that enough of those people will like that stuff that I can keep making it. And if because if I'm not doing that, what's the point? We're going to be dead in like 30 years. <laughs> Honestly, like, you know, my dad, my, my grandfather had a heart attack at 60 and died. My dad had his first heart attack at 60 and he's still alive. Thank God. But, but it's like, I'm 38. What is that? What's the math on that? It's not great. It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> This is the actually last podcast that Mike will be doing. Oh, stop. Stop it right now. How dare you, sir? But that's, you know, I mean, what's that, 22 years I got to to, uh, make a mark in the world and try to do something meaningful? It's like, we don't have that much time. Like, should we really be, like, hustling around to try to to get, like, a bit part in, like, a Nickelodeon show? Like, what are we doing? Applause break for what are we doing? (laughs) Well, I have to tell you, this is what just gets me so uh, excited. I'm going to fix your mic. Oh, thank you very much. You have five up. 
I want everyone to know this is the second podcast in my life, by the way. Speaking of uh, how much, you know, what am I going to do? I'm 52 and it's my second podcast. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I think that's a <laughs> But that, what you just said there is what's so exciting and inspiring about working with you is I feel uh, rejuvenated. Oh, anything's possible. Everybody needs to look out because I just do it myself. I just have yeah. to do it myself. That's so inspiring. Like I'm shaking. That's so awesome. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's uh, yeah, and it's not to say that uh, that the stuff I'm making is any good. Even it's like, but that doesn't, but it, but it that doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It actually, no offense, it, it oddly doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't. As long as the intention is to to make something that's meaningful to people and affects people, and try just to try. It's almost yep. like it goes to parenting. You know, people say when you when you're raising kids, it's like it's not about the children's achievement it's about that they tried to do something absolutely and and I, and it's still true of us which is also adults. true about parenting itself it's like you're not you're not going to be perfect at it you have to be there and you have to give as much of yourself as you know yeah but uh and be comfortable getting nothing back yeah for years yeah <laughs> yeah and i think that that has also like changed our relationship to the work itself like what is the meaning of the purpose of our work which is interesting yeah. um one other- i mean you look at like like i'll give you a good example of like of someone who like creates off the radar because sometimes when i say this to people people are like yeah but you gotta make a living you gotta like you know what i mean you do have to take the audition at nickelodeon because how are you going to pay your rent and I point to like artists like um, like Daniel Kitson. He's mm-hmm. a British um, comedian who creates these solo monologues, and he's just a fat. He's a fascinating person. He's um, look him up if you can. He, although that being said, he has very little of an internet footprint. He's not on Twitter. He's not on Facebook. He all, he doesn't do cool. interviews. He only communicates with his fans through. Um, you can sign up for his email list, and then he sends emails when he's like, "I'll be in New York for these three weeks doing a show about the theme of Christmas at such and such a theater." That basically he rents. I mean, he he rents theaters himself. He puts on these solo monologues. They they are so good, and at this point, his track record is so strong that they all sell out immediately and you literally can't get a ticket. And I'm saying this and you probably don't know his name, you never heard of him, and he's really affecting a lot of people all the time. So like, it, there is a way to do it. It's not that wild mm. of, of a concept. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I need to uh, change gears twice sure. in the next five minutes. <laughs> Are you ready for this? I'm ready to change gears. Number one, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about um, your relationship to your life, uh, like actual things that happen to you, yeah, uh, and actual things that happen to friends of yours <laughs> in your material. I.e. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to name any items in it, uh, but yeah, you do uh, bring up uh, my father, my father's accident, my father's death, yes. uh, as a in the film as a piece of comedy in your work. Um, and and uh, and it kills. Sorry, <laughs> sorry for the turn of phrase. That was a little rough. Um, yeah. So what? What do you? Um, because there was another element. There's I, a piece of just to give you guys context. There's a. I don't want to give it away, but there's a piece of the film that is um a relationship and and an incident that is pulled from um 
an experience that Ptolemy <laughs> and his dad had that I and our our mutual friend Chris, who we did improv with in college, shared kind of a, a, a running personal, yeah. a, a running inside joke for like a few years. Right. And, and you're and able to accomplish an and it's really joke. It's really dark. It's very dark. And, it's and a, I had to call Ptolemy in the writing phase and just be like, I put this... I put this thing in my script. I'll take it out if you want me to, but I think that you'll, I think you'll love it. Yeah. So, um, basically my father got in an accident on a Vespa scooter, um, and, uh, was in a coma for like 25 days. And, uh, some of this stuff that is in the film actually happened to us. And that those jokes that happened, exactly the term of like, uh, think you yeah. was used against me at a certain point by some com- comedic, by a mutual friend by a mutual friend. So we all experience these things, and it shows up in the film, which yeah. is interesting. And one of the things that is uh, so fascinating to me about it is how complicated it would be to <laughs> achieve this inside joke, this like incredibly sensitive uh, inside joke, and how much work it takes to actually deliver it to the screen. But you still did all of the work to accomplish it yeah it's well let me start by saying the inside joke i don't want to give it away entirely but the basis is is that ptolemy's father was in an accident and our mutual friend chris made a joke about it using my father's like uh, as yeah using his accident against me because that's what comedian like when you're making fun of each other you just pull up whatever like is in your brain and he i think accidentally made fun of me using my own father's uh injuries yeah and we could not get over it and so ptolemy and i were on a trip together at that time we were in paris we were in paris and and we thought it was so funny that we that our friend would cross the line so far. Like, if you imagine the line here, it was like 150 yards past the line of what's acceptable in comedy, even in friendship. And we laughed so hard that for years I remembered it, and you and I would just reference it on the phone or whenever. And then when I was writing this script, I was like, in some ways that would be like the perfect inside joke for this group. And I thought, well, it's kind of nuts of an inside joke because it's at the expense of a person who's in a coma and it's like really sensitive stuff. But I thought if we could pull it off, we could really show how close these friends yeah. are, which is how, clo- you know, how close me and Tom and our friend Chris joke. are that, that we can make this joke that like we know is not truly at the expense of your father, but but in some ways, like it's hard to distinguish it. Yeah, it's and and so we. I would have these readings at my house of the screenplay, and I had about ten readings of it. And every time, people would really connect to that scene. Like it would really work. And so at a certain point, I was like, I think I think this is going to work. And and um, yeah. So I'm, I I love that scene. I and I appreciate it. And I'll always appreciate that you gave me your permission. No, to, it's to interesting. Use that I mean, in I. The the amount of work it takes to actually execute that joke is fascinating. I don't think I would ever do it myself. Also, my father died. <laughs> but um, that is like some of the element of like how you turn to your life for material. And that's the essence of the material. Yeah, and by the way, this is the first, this is the first thing I've ever made um, that, substantial thing I've made that's fictional. 
you know, so everything in my career has been these solo shows and my book and my first movie, either autobiographical or semi-autobiographical. This movie, I'm not, you know, there's six, it's this ensemble film about six friends. I'm not really one of the people. I mean, I really, you could not say, I mean, unless you had a response that I was one of the people, but I, well, I, play, my, I play Miles, but there's not Mike in the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, in I, some ways, the movie. Well, I think there's pieces. I mean, I think yeah. there's, I, I think I, there's a part of me, and this is if you've seen the movie, but there's a part of me that wants to be Sam, the idealist. There's a part of me that is um, kind of embarrassedly Jack, which is like really ambitious. Yeah. And then there's a part of me that's that's you know uh, embarrassedly bitter, which is the Miles character, which is the part that I play. And, um, well, as you say, it is a different relationship to the work itself because it's not the name Mike, but you actually have percentages of you in every single character i think so yeah the playful side of you the the kind of like absent-minded you know i think um of Gethard, like kate Gethard oh. plays this more like hey is everything you know what i mean like we uh, kind of like kind of almost like shambling in and like doing it yeah uh and then there's that side of you that is older at this point which is like the miles thing and feels like oh i should have gotten those things that other people yeah. got that's natural to all of us yeah and then there's a part of you that is that uh that kind of fantastically talented person that does get those elements and what happens to you. You know what I mean? Like, I think you are all of the characters, which I think is the next, I think that is a, a way of creating a piece is expressing yourself through a variety, like showing other sides of you. And these are archetypes that are real Yeah. in improvisation, which are also close enough to know like that miles character does exist. It exists in the real life. Yeah. Uh, the oh, character yeah. that oh, does he ever times over. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought, um, uh, I thought that that trust fund, um, there's char- a character who, yeah. who, who doesn't have a job. She's on unemployment and, her parents and are very wealthy. In some ways, you can see like the the gift of that, but also the curse of that is like what what yeah. is her self identity? Yeah, um, I don't know. So I I see you in actually all of these things, and it is a different like relationship. But that's yeah. why I bring this up is that like your relationship to your your life in your writing, um, I think is interesting to bring up because we also the thing that I didn't know about this film that is fascinating to me as somebody that knows you is that Maggie was in it. Yeah, yeah. So <gasps> dun dun dun. Yeah, my. <laughs> My ex-girlfriend in life, uh, in college, from college, my plays uh, my love interest in the film, and it was my wife's idea. So Maggie, you know, like I don't know if any of you have gone through college and had a relationship in college, but that first relationship is pretty defining. Um, and each of us had one. Uh, Chris married his, uh, now has six children. Tiffany, yeah. Um, but uh, you had one. I had one, and. Like when you know that how much it affects you and your relationship yeah. to life and love and you continue in your work. And I don't think people that watch this film would know this about no, Maggie. They, no, nobody could know. She kind of yeah. plays this character, but you should know that that is actually fucking Maggie. You know, like <laughs> that's the actual person yeah. that Maggie, you Ke- Maggie Kemper, the actress in the college. You have her in the film and there's a, there's like a tenderness and there's a reality to her. And she's not like a name, but she has this beautiful like you guys have this history and it's in the film, and that's because it's a real thing that you brought yeah. into the film. Yeah, you're right. And it was Jen's, it was my wife Jen's idea, who's a consulting producer on the film, and and is is really a wise, wise person. Because I was auditioning. If it, it's a part in the film that's uh, a, a woman who's my age, who is from Naperville, Illinois, and she's sort of very Midwestern, and and uh, 
and I was auditioning actresses in New York and Los Angeles, and, and I was looking at all these tapes of people who didn't feel Midwestern. They kind of felt like New York, LA people trying to act Midwestern. And then, but, but Maggie's actually from the Midwest. And, and at a certain point, my wife said, you know, I, I feel like you're just trying to cast someone to be Maggie. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I think Maggie would do it. Uh, you should ask her if she'd put herself on tape and then show it to producers. And I did, and it was it was by far the best. It was not, it was not even close. It was yeah. by far the best audition. And it was it's so real. It's so what she's doing is so pure. Yeah, and I would, she's, I would really, she's an excellent actress. She's I would great. want people, and but also the the familiarity and the comfortability. But then there's also this history there. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm making this difficult. It's not difficult. Oh, okay, it's not difficult. But I do feel I'm, like when I'm you ripping out the tape right. from the table, there's some fidgeting going on. Um, but I think when you see this film, it's important as someone that's viewing this to know what a personal piece this is. So personal that the people that you're actually watching on screen are pieces of Mike's life in a in like a real deep way, not in a casual like. Wouldn't this be fun? You're not doing this as like a stunt casting. You're bringing a piece of no, your life. No, as a matter of fact, on. no one knows it. You bring it up now publicly. <laughs> right. The only time that but people. But it's a cool. It's such yeah. a cool element that I, I'm no, no, pretty no. sure you wouldn't talk about it. But I think people should know I like agree. what interesting. an interesting character and what that means to your life. And then when you see her in the film and the role that she plays in the film, like uh, Jenny's correct. Like that is that is something that you are bringing to your work, which is interesting. Yeah. No. I I think that whether regardless of whether you're writing what or what I've learned about writing an autobiography and, and writing fiction is that y you you really have to be bringing a piece of yourself a huge piece of yourself to the page regardless of, of whether it's it's fictional or, or nonfiction even if it's even if it goes to the point that it feels dangerous I would say dangerous is good yeah the more dangerous it feels I think the closer you're getting to something that's right. worth watching so even if it was a traumatic experience for a friend of yours and his father actually died. You know what I mean? Like you should, you should well, put that in the piece. Is that a specific example? No, or I'm just like as an example, as like, like as like an a, You option. mean like a hypothetical right. or like, but that's the thing, like knowing did. you, um, well, like you, that's not something I would, that I would want anyone to like deal with, but I know you, you're like, you are not, you're not just doing that to me. That's your approach to the work is that like the deeper it is and the more actual personal connection is, that is the answer that you're going for. Well, the, Chris Hardwick, our friend and namesake of the Nerdist, um, he actually was really nice. He he credited me on his recent special, like in a couple of interviews about. He called it fun, comfortable, yeah. because <laughs> I was on his podcast once, and I said that the I I know that I'm doing something that's decent comedically when it feels uncomfortable to me. And I know that it's maybe worth listening to. And so he, he from that, he coined this term fun, comfortable, mm. um, like funny slash uncomfortable. And uh, yeah, I think that that's generally a good um, like barometer of, of, of whether you're in a decent place is if it makes you feel that kind of raw feeling of like, is this OK? Is what's happening? Yeah. Like, is, is it going to be OK if I reveal this thing about myself or, you know? or about this, this character. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, de I definitely think that's the goal. I mean, one thing I, I will say is like, I, I, I want, I just want to speak a little bit to the, um, I was mentioning the, the readings I had at my house earlier, uh, to, to prepare the film. 
I always encourage people, especially creatives like you guys, like to do that, like to to put stuff on its feet. Like if you feel passion, if you've written a play, if you've written a movie script, um, it's like you guys have each other um, as friends and allies to just say like, hey, come on over on a Saturday and uh, would you guys want to maybe read these parts and and um, and we'll and we'll eat pizza afterwards and, 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 and hang out, you know, like, I think that there's, there's a community, you know, you guys have here at the Nerdist school where it's like, you can ask each other for that. The worst thing people will say is no, or I'm busy. The best thing is, is like, you, you hear your script out loud and you learn things about it that you didn't even know. You're like, oh, that could be, be even like when we started doing readings of the script Chris Gethard started playing the bill part and it was like it was just like yes like that's that's what that is that's what that character is and even I certain times read Jack and I certain times read Miles two 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 of the male parts and it was like the Jack stuff was like okay and then the Miles was like yeah I should play this bitter guy like there's something (laughs) there's something that's real in me within it and and I would encourage people like if you have like projects that you're fostering it's like like loop people into them and ask them to like read them aloud and there's this great documentary um I think it's called Hearts of Darkness it was about the making of Apocalypse Now yeah that's what it's and I think it's at the end of it where um and this was made in the 70s I, I, I think the documentary and at the end of it, it's such it's such a prophetic thing that Francis Ford Coppola says. He 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 goes in the future, like the best movies are going to be made by some kid playing with like like a home use video camera, cam- video camera yeah. wow. like in Cincinnati. Like that's that's where the the best work is going to come from in the future. And now more than way more than ever with the technology level that we're at right now that is waiting for for you guys and for everybody listening to this it's like the things that you can make right now for a hundred thousand dollars can be far better than stuff that's made for 200 million dollars right i'm not, and i'm not exaggerating no it's true. i'm not saying i'm saying literally better and I'm not saying I'm not saying that like to be nice, like hey, go get them, kids. Like no, you your movie can be better than Transformers. Yeah, and for me, two important lessons that I take. I I've never seen Transformers. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, okay. Can we edit that someone, out? Someone, um, someone, someone, someone here nodded that it is not good. But for me, <laughs> anonymously, anonymously. Um, for me, I think the two main creative lessons that I get from your example of life that we've talked about here is one, it's not going to feel perfect. You know, that no. thing, there's going to be an embarrassment, but do it anyways. That's like, do it because this thing that's coming out of you has a reason. Maybe you don't even know what it is yet, but do it. And that's a great, um, lesson I think from your and, life and try and try. And number two is the deeper in to your heart and your life. It is the more correct it is. And just with those yeah. two combined with this thing that you're saying, of just like, just do it, just get out there and do it. There's so much that you can accomplish that isn't even, um, what you, what you even intended to do or what you think is like perfect, but to put it out there, the world is a better place. Yeah. And I think like, what prohibits us sometimes from from making that leap into like trying and failing 
is the fear of failure, yeah. of course, which we all feel. I feel every day, and we, you know, we all feel. The truth is, there is no failure because it's all failure. It's like, <laughs> I mean, there's no failure because in ten years from now, you're going to look back and go, "Oh, well, that was ridiculous in this way, this way, and this way, and that was great in this way, and this way, and this way." And I couldn't see that at the time. Yeah. I didn't know that at the time. I always there's this great interview actually that Chris Hardwick does on the Nerdist podcast with um, John Cusack, and John Cusack says something that's so smart and and just like you can only have the wisdom of from being John Cusack, which is um, the wisdom of the years. Is he goes, you don't know you don't know how good your movies are going to be until at least ten years. Mm. after they're released because they, you know they come out there's a big premiere everyone's saying this is going to be the biggest thing this is going to be the smallest thing no one gives a shit everyone loves it it's like all pomp and circumstance and then 10 sometimes 20 sometimes 30 years later people go i love right. wild and crazy summer you know and i can quote it back to is that what that movie's called but it, like uh yeah um, like, gross point blank gross point blank so is good. a great one like it, it it's he's he he makes this point where it's like I, I'm forgetting which which one the one where he's a cartoonist. Um, do you guys remember that one? Wild and Crazy Summer, yeah. And he goes at the time he goes no one saw that movie, and he goes now people like quote it back to me all the time, and I think it's like the greatest lesson, mm-hmm. and it's the greatest case for just try fail repeat, just try fail repeat. It's like you don't know. All, I mean. You have to be aware of like what you're learning and, and that you're getting better, but you really yeah. don't know. Right. Um, all right. Well, we're about to do a workshop with in, Liz and with Liz and improvisation. Um, Liz, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, first of, all, first of all, I wanna I wanna set Liz up by saying she she taught our improv group, the commune. Um, she taught me in college and uh, and made me cry. Uh, didn't make me cry, but I cried. Uh, I cried because after she did a workshop, which was so powerful to me, I performed in an improv show where I felt like my performance was so bad that it was embarrassing, and I was embarrassed to have failed in front of her. Uh. And then years later, we're work, 20 years later, we're working on yep. this movie together. Um, and she's um, one of the great improv teachers. She won, um, I don't know if you, I'm allowed to say this, you won the Del Close uh, teaching award in Chicago three you're times. Allowed, you're allowed to say that. Um, and uh, and and I feel like Liz, would you say that you that that do you identify with the stuff that we're talking about in terms of how it relates to improv? A hundred percent, absolutely. And you know why I love this movie related uh, to improv? A movie about improv was. Uh, when you very nicely let me read it. Am I allowed to say that? Sure, you <laughs> Let me read it. And what I loved about it was that it pulls no punches about improv. There's no stone unturned that's really unpleasant because a life as an improviser is extremely unpleasant. I mean, you take on, you agree to go live a very uh, challenging it's gonna, life. It's, it's going to go on wiki quote. <laughs> a life of an improviser is very unpleasant. <laughs> but, I mean, it really is. What I loved about this was that it's completely accurate to reflect what it would be like to be in an improv group as tight as the commune for at least a decade and that's why I love the thank you joke because it is uh, exactly how the most loving raw uh, group of improvisers would treat one another with total trust 
and that it would only build trust. And and I love the way you wrote it. I love the way Chris reacts as Bill when they do that in the van, not to give away too much. That makes me cry because I know that feeling of only these people who know me know so well can just stab me in the heart, and I love it. I mean, that to me is, and that's what I love about this movie, is that if it's going to be a movie about improv, I didn't want it to be pretty. I didn't want it to be nice. I wanted it to... Uh, go to those horrible places that you can only describe to people and if you're not an improviser they glaze over they don't understand and then that's why I love this Mike because you uh, to me you completely reflected accurately I think what it's like to be a 20-year improv veteran or a 10-year improv veteran and what do you want from it what are we doing yeah what, what are we doing how are we point? how are we helping I How, a, exactly. I have a question on the process of uh, coaching people because these are not children that no. you are asked to come in and coach, right? So these are all adults that have been doing, mo- many of them, I guess some had, had a long time, been doing. Yeah. Some of I mean, yeah. Chris Gather, Tammy Sager, Keegan, Michael Key have all been improvising yeah. for, for 15 years plus. But did they, and then. And, and then Kate McCucci and, and, and Gillian Jacobs had never improvised. Right. This is what I'm interested in. So how do you, uh, what was your approach in dealing with adults? Like, and you have to coach them as a unit. Like, what's the priority there? And how, do you, how, did, how did you approach that? Well, I had an absolute priority, which was I wanted to uh, cut to the very heart of a scene. I didn't want to worry about the words of a scene, if they're going to improvise, because I felt like if there wasn't a really deep, instant uh, trust of one another that the words that they said in improv while Mike's filming improvisation wouldn't matter because I would think that the deep trust wouldn't show. So I immediately, well, I immediately uh, just kind of threw them into this uh, total self-trust, a bonding exercise. I don't want to get into describing the exercise. That's really boring, but we'll do it in a minute. (laughs) I'm going to do it here. I'd be interested. Okay. I have them make shit. Excuse me. I am. Not, I don't know how. To, I don't know how to do this. It's the microphone. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, do, the microphone goes right outside your mouth. Not, is that uh, is that yeah. how this works? I apologize. Uh, my, but but what I knew was that because these people are fantastic actors, they would understand the trust of ensemble. But then to Im- improvise words and have the trust of ensemble, I, and I knew I had like an hour, right, to maybe really get them to this place of deep trust. So I had them reveal some stuff about themselves they would never share with yeah, other people. That speaks to what you were saying earlier. Ah, we, so we as a warm-up, it's like, say something. We're all very uncomfortable things yes. about I had them really. I wanted them to share things with each other that you would never share with other people, and I'm right. certainly not going to share now. But what I liked about that was that it gave them uh, the ability to tell one another stories. And see, when you're with a group for a really long time, you tell each other stories. Right, and, and to get to that point is as important as the work itself on stage, which I think is interesting. I actually thought that was the most important thing, that that would read, because I didn't want to try to fake bond them, because mm-hmm. I felt like that would show up uh, in the improv as false. Yeah. And so my whole thing, what I, when Mike started talking about this, I was like, well, the number one key of people who've known each other and worked with each other that long in improv is... Uh, the, we are we have each other's biographies memorized. Yeah. Right. Nothing we don't know about each other. And we crave to find out, is there something that yeah. happened to you in third grade? Right. Tell me now, because I'm bored out of my gourd. Right. So I'll give you um, just a slightly, because we, we have to go for a moment, but do you mind if I ask you, like put you on the spot in kind of an inside baseball way? Sure. Um, on an improv level, like we just put together new teams. So in two days from now, on Thursday, I'm going to go into a team that has never rehearsed together. 
Um, but what is like an example of how would you handle the first ever rehearsal of a new team? Some that have never done it, some that have done it a long time. You know, like what is your approach to that that kind of moment? Well, my approach would be to um, get them to completely agree to invite yes, not to wait and be passive with yes, not to go in and say, I'm going to say yes after someone says something. I like, uh, especially in that new situation, aggressively bring yes. Like start shaking your head yes before you, mm. before someone speaks. Yeah. Don't, don't wait to reply yes, bring yes, and say yes, yes, we're in a scene. Yes, we're on a team. Yes, we're going to perform. Mm. That spirit of yes long before someone else speaks is so powerful that if everyone can bring in, it's like an appetite for yes. Right. Or it's like an angry yes. You come in so wanting yes, but you don't wait. You just come in with it. Yeah. Um, I also like this thing of, um, of expressing something honestly from your life. Because there's two elements, I think, with improvisation, and it's not the jokey stuff you see on stage, but it's the connection between human beings that defines the work. Absolutely. And if you put that uh, in place, it's not, it's right. not the results no. you see on stage. To make an ensemble, it is the, con the, the sinuous connection between human beings. Yeah. 100%. I totally and agree that yeah. comes yeah. first. And if you don't have that, forget it. Right. Don't even bother. It's not worth it. And you can try to fake it, and you can tour, and you can be funny, but it won't be long-lasting and meaningful. And it won't have that deeper wave of connection to the audience, which I don't normally like to talk about or care about. I like to tell improvisers to put a curtain up between them and the, and the audience. Right. It's their privilege to pay and watch. They're right. watching art created. But if you don't have that deep humanity connection... I don't care how funny you are. There's a there's a quote that I had on my wall when I was writing the script, which is I tried I tried to put like famous author quotes that I find inspirational on the wall when I'm writing, and one of them is uh, Ezra Pound, and it's three words, and it's only emotion endures. God. Wow, that's solid. That Ezra, that, those that's are three, amazing. Those are three great words to put in the wall when you're improvising or writing or, or doing anything. Like yeah, that. that's great. Um, I didn't mean to react that loudly. Um, <laughs> so I want to thank um, Mike and Liz for being here. I think um, this film uh, kind of hits the improv community itself, like where it lives. And there's some um, relationship to like, well, what part of improv? You know, there's almost an anxiety of like, well, this is what I do. I mean, my, my mother doesn't even know like what improvisation is. Like when she, she thinks we're just like standing on stage. It's like, it's stand up for people that can't stand alone. Like, what is this thing? And I think for me, um, watching this film, I, I just, I love the part that it, it accomplishes the core of improvisation underneath anything that happens on stage. I and I think um, this will be a good thing to listen to for people that are in the improv community, that this this was handled by people that live and breathe improvisation as opposed to people that watch improvisation or are trying to use it as some kind of like gimmick or storytelling thing. Um, but um, thank you to both Mike and Liz uh, for talking about this and bringing such a great uh, piece of film to our world. And thank you guys, and thanks to Tom, man. Thank you guys. And thanks to the Nerdist School. Thanks, guys. We did it. We did it, everybody. The Nerdist School Network. For class and show information, visit nerdistschool.com.